for today in the story. This is probably the last Sunday we're going to be uh, making the story available. 31 Sundays from Genesis to Revelation, uh, we're going to work our way all the way through the Bible and look at all the key events and Hopefully at the end you'll be able to say, yeah, I think I I get the big picture. And I I understand uh, what God's story is all about. Five dollars back at the table. If you don't have five dollars and you'd like the story, just tell them, Pastor Jeff's going to buy my book. And I'd be pleased to do that for you. Um, Week number one, creation. Let's get a little running start here. In the beginning, what happened? What happened in the beginning? God created, say it with me, the heavens and the... He he created this amazing cosmos. And then specifically, he said, I'm going to create this little thing called planet Earth. And then I'm going to create on planet Earth this wonderful spot called Eden. I'm going to create man and I'm going to create woman. But I want them to choose to love me and follow me. Only one rule, right? There's this one tree. Don't mess with it. Don't touch it. And what happened? (laughs) They couldn't leave it alone. And sure enough, uh, sin entered mankind. Sin entered our world. And the Lord created Eden so that he could know man and man could know him. And now sin has separated mankind from God Almighty. So we saw in week two, God says, I've got a plan now. I I want to reconnect. I want, I'm determined to have relationship with mankind. And he's going to do that through a nation, the nation of Israel. And he starts out with a hundred-year-old man. What was his name? Abraham. And a 90-year-old first-time mom. Her name was? Sarah, and just to show you that this is me, I'm going to take a 100-year-old man, a 90-year-old woman, and I'm going to start my nation there. We saw last week that God had to intervene and save his nation from starvation. There was a massive famine, uh, and the nation of Israel was in danger of starving, except for a man named Joseph. And Joseph was sold into slavery. He was thrown into prison, falsely accused. Uh, And then when he got out, he was made number two man in all of Egypt. And through Joseph, God works for the good. What's the good here? He saved his chosen people from starvation through this guy named Joseph. Today, we're going to see that God's chosen people... They came to Egypt with 70 people. Think with me. 70 people, Joseph's 11 brothers and wives and children, and they are welcomed into Egypt. Now they're in Egypt, and they've grown to 2 to 3 million. So they're thriving in Egypt. They're doing really well now in, in Egypt, but... Now, uh, some bad things are about to happen. Genesis chapter 15, verses 13 and 14 tell us this didn't catch God by surprise. Here's what God Almighty told to Abraham. He said, uh, 
Know this, Abraham, that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country, strangers in Egypt that's not their own, and then they're going to be enslaved and mistreated there. The Lord already knew that those two to three million are going to be enslaved in Egypt. Verse 14, But don't worry, Abraham, I will punish the nation they serve as slaves, and afterward they will come out with great possessions. A brand new Pharaoh comes to power. A new Pharaoh who doesn't know about Joseph, doesn't care about Joseph and his ancestors. So now Jehovah God is going to find just the right man to lead his chosen people out of Egypt. So he's going to look and he wants to find the right point person to tell the new Pharaoh who thought he was God, what's he going to tell him? What's the theme that, that Moses keeps going back and what does he say? Let my people what? Let him go. Just let him go, Pharaoh. So he needs to find somebody who's going to bring that message. Exodus chapter 2, if you have your Bibles, turn there. Uh, if you have the story, it's page 44. The new Pharaoh is afraid, fearful of the Israelites. Why? Because they're strong, they're growing, they're thriving. I'm afraid they're doing so well, they might just choose to overthrow Egypt and take us over. So this new Pharaoh is so intimidated by the Hebrews, here's his order. All the baby boys born to the Israelites, you are to take them and throw them in the river Nile. So the newborn baby boys, just toss them in the Nile. They're going to drown. They're going to be crocodile food. That's evil. That is, that is ugly, ugly, and brutal. Um, however, there was this one family, and they had a baby boy, and they said, you know, we just can't allow our baby boy to be tossed into the Nile, so we're going to put him in the Nile, but we're going to put him in this wonderful little basket, and we're going to make it waterproof, and we're just going to happen to put the basket near where the princess, the daughter of the Pharaoh, bathes. And she just happens, by chance, to notice the basket. Go get that basket. Let's find out. Why is that basket here? And she looks inside, and her heart melts. <laughs> she, she sees that little baby, and she, she knows she can't toss that baby into the Nile. She's going to defy her father, and she's going to adopt that baby into her family. This baby is going to grow up in the palace, and the baby's name is? What's, what's the baby's name? Moses. And Moses literally means, I brought him up out of the water. Referring to this basket where she found the baby Moses. I brought him up out of the water, so that will be his name. For 40 years, Moses lives in the palace, educated in all of the Egyptian ways. I mean, he, he lived a life of luxury, living in the palace, ate at the Pharaoh's table for the first 40 years until 
he sees a man and he's beating one of his fellow Hebrews. And suddenly now, he knows who he is. He knows he's not Egyptian. He knows that the Egyptians are mistreating his people. And in anger, he kills the Egyptian who's beating his fellow Hebrew. He thinks he's got it well hid. He thinks nobody will know. But pretty soon it's out. Everybody knows Moses has killed an Egyptian. And suddenly now, uh, Pharaoh is ready to kill Moses, chapter 2 and verse 15. I think he's still ticked at his daughter. I think he knew she defied him. I don't think Pharaoh ever liked him living in the palace. But now that he's killed an Egyptian, now uh, there's a death warrant out for Moses, and he flees into the Midian wilderness. So first 40 years, grows up in the palace. Next 40 years, Moses is going to be in the Midian wilderness, and uh, the Lord is going to meet Moses in the wilderness in a very strange way. Exodus chapter 3, if you have your Bible, page 46, if you have the story. Uh, remember, the Lord's looking for just the right person to lead his chosen people out of bondage, out of slavery, from the Egyptians. And uh, now the Lord is going to have an encounter with Moses, and he's going to say, Here, here's what I have in mind. Here's what I want you to be all about. And uh, he meets him in a really strange way. Would you please stand if you're able? And uh, we're going to read out loud about this interesting encounter that God Almighty has with, uh, with Moses. You ready? Let's read together. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I'll go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, Here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites. And now the cry of Israelites has reached me, and I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I'm sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, 
who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you've brought the people up out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for wanting to have relationship with sinful man. And thank you, Lord, that you were determined to restore relationship with you. And Lord, we're grateful to be able to read about that account, how you use this man named Moses to do amazing things. Lord, I believe that uh, you have in mind to do amazing stuff through those who are standing today in your church. Lord, I, I believe that you're, you're not done yet using people in powerful ways. So, Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you take your word and apply it to our lives and our situations and our families and what's going on? at work, in school, in the places that, uh, that we go every single day. We pause now for just a moment because uh, we've just finished up a, a long week. And Lord, we live in a really sinful world. And, and the reality, Lord, is oftentimes we as your children, we slip and we fall and and we get involved with things that we shouldn't be involved with. We, we say things we shouldn't have said. We think things that don't belong in our minds. We look at stuff that we shouldn't be looking at. Lord, you call that sin. So would you make clear things that we've involved ourselves with that you call sin even right now? Things that we haven't yet taken and got cleansed. And as you make yourself clear, as you point out things this past week that you call sin, Lord, we want to run to the cross and call them the very same thing. You call it sin, we're going to call it sin too. And Lord, we are grateful that all those who know your son Jesus personally, our accounts have been marked paid in full by the shed blood of the Lamb. That's amazing. So we want to draw on that account. And Lord, as you've made things clear, thought, word, deed, where we've sinned, we call it sin. We confess it. 
We want to write that check of confession and draw on that account. We're asking, Lord, that you might wash and cleanse and purify, even right now. We want to be ready to do business with you. All the church family at Walloon Lake said with one strong voice. You may be seated. Question. Why does the Lord choose Moses to be his leader? Lord, why did you pick him? Why did you pick Moses to be your man who would be your instrument, your leader, your tool to lead two to three million people out of slavery, out of Egypt. Here's his qualifications. If you have your Bible, go to chapter 4 and verse 10. Qualification number one, uh, he was slow of speech and slow of tongue. I am not eloquent. I don't speak well. I don't like speaking in front of uh, crowds. Uh, I'm not a good debater. I'm really poor at speaking. And now God is calling Moses to be his man to go toe-to-toe with the most powerful man on earth at this time. Egypt was the premier power in the world at this particular time. And now he's calling Moses, who doesn't talk well, who's slow of speech, I want you to go and debate the most powerful man on earth, the pharaoh of Egypt. (laughs) And oh, by the way, this guy thinks he's a god. He's convinced, and everybody treats him that way. He thinks he's deity, but you go and you go debate him, and you go and be my spokesman. Uh, Second qualification. For the last 40 years... Where has Moses lived? Out in the middle of nowhere. So uh, he, he's, he's not been uh, in Egypt for a while now. He, he's not read a newspaper. He's not watched the news. Uh, he's not up on the latest tweets from Pharaoh. He doesn't really have the wardrobe. He, he doesn't know the latest and the greatest customs and what's happening. He, he knows nothing. He's totally out of the loop. And the third qualification, he's a wanted man. By the way, uh, last time I was there in the palace area, uh, they wanted to kill me. They wanted to arrest me. They wanted to execute me. And I'm still, I got this bad past and very well may be a wanted man uh, because of the murder that I committed. So he's a murderer who's a wanted man. So let me just say this, from a human perspective, would you not agree with me that Moses was a really horrible choice? I I can't think, you know, you were like, Moses, you're like in the bottom 10% of people who should be considered to be God's man, God's leader, to lead his chosen people out of slavery in Egypt. But that is the problem. We tend to look at the outside, the, uh, the outward circumstances of things, 
But what does God look for? What, what is God interested in, uh, in in men? And the answer, what, what's he interested in? Man looks at the outward things. Where do, what does God look? He looks at the heart, on, on the inward things. And it just so happens, when you look a little closer uh, on the inward side in his heart, Moses wasn't such a bad choice. Numbers chapter 12 and verse 3, you can look it up if you have your Bible, put it up here on the screen. Here's what it says. Now Moses was a very humble man. Matter of fact, he was so humble that he was more humble, inspired by God, than anyone else on the face of the earth. Suddenly now, oh, I think I realize now why the Lord chose Moses. Because the Lord knew that when Moses was leading, uh, everyone would see the power of Jehovah God. They're not going to be looking at the power of Moses. Moses was really good at giving the honor and the glory and the credit to the Lord. Moses was, was really good at saying, it's, it's not me, it's, it's God, and he's using me as his tiny little pencil to get his plans accomplished. So then when Moses went to the Hebrew leaders, here's what he says, I am who I am, sent me. Just pause for a minute. The self-existent one, the one who spoke everything into existence, the one who always was, the one who is, the one who always will be, I am has sent me to you. <laughs> and if you're familiar with the words Yahweh or Jehovah, that comes from this verse. I am sent me. I am who I am. What, what does it mean? The one who always was, the one who is, the one who always will be, the dependable, the self-existent one has sent me to you. That, that's what's going on here. So if you go to chapter 5 and verse 1, what, what Moses is saying is, uh, I'm here on behalf of Jehovah God. I'm here, and here's what I say, Pharaoh, the, the greatest human power on earth. Uh, on behalf of Yahweh, I'm saying, let my people go. Let my people go. Or you're going to see and you're going to experience the wrath, the power of the great I Am. The one who always was, the one who is, the one who always will be, is now going to come and do battle with your little Egyptian gods. And we're going to see how that works out for you, Pharaoh. We're going to see how that goes. And he does battle with Pharaoh, Exodus chapter 7 through Exodus chapter 11. Uh, he shows his power over Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods with what we call the ten, the ten plagues. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's not going to be good for the Egyptians. Page 49 and 50, if you have the story, the uh, ten plagues, uh, 
Water to blood, frogs, lice, flies, animals died of sickness, boils, hail, locust, darkness. Now here's what's interesting. I think it's interesting. Some people look at these uh, plagues and they say it really wasn't fair because God got involved and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And some people say, well, that's just not fair. The guy didn't stand a chance. You know, when God hardens your heart, how can you be responsible for it if, if God's doing that? Give me your eyes. The first five times Pharaoh hardens his heart, guess who hardens Pharaoh's heart? Pharaoh does. <laughs> so the first five times it's listed, Pharaoh hardens his own heart, and now his heart is good and hard, and now the last five times the Lord, Jehovah, joins him in hardening his heart. And uh, we're going to look specifically now, chapter 11, if you have your Bible turned there to Exodus, uh, we're going to look at the 10th and the final plague. And the reason we want to focus on the 10th and the final plague, it reveals God's eternal plan. You'll see what I mean in just a moment. The, the, the 10th plague, this, this is God's plan, and, and we're going to see that this was his plan all along. Chapter 11, verse 4, at midnight, every firstborn son in Egypt will die. So if you're a firstborn son, anybody here, firstborn son? My hand's up, firstborn, yep, 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 bad news. You're all going to die. Midnight, midnight, you're dead. Uh, That's not good news. Everybody, Pharaoh's house, firstborn sons, you're dead. Uh, Slaves' homes, firstborn sons, dead. This is how serious God was sending a message. Even the cattle, even the animals, the firstborn males, dead. Midnight comes, you are dead. Now, do you recall what Pharaoh was doing to all of the boys, all of the little boys born to the Hebrews back when Moses was born? What was he doing? He he was... He was killing them, tossing them into the river. Uh, Pharaoh's about to get a taste of his own bitter behavior. Pharaoh's about to reap what he has sowed. Um, There's only one remedy to avoid death at midnight. Firstborn sons, let me see your hands again. Only one way you can avoid dying at midnight, okay? Chapter 12, here we go. Uh, Select a lamb without defect or spot. You see the little kids, they'd be out, I don't, I don't want Lammy to, to be selected. Uh, well, well, that's the best lamb we got. Sorry, Lammy, Lammy's going to go. Um, chapter 12 and verse 6, at twilight, Lammy dies. Lammy dies. Twilight is when the sun goes down below the horizon. You know the money shot, Sunset Park? Petoskey, when, when the sun's just going down and, and now it's gone, that's twilight. At twilight, you kill, you slaughter the lamb. But you're not done yet. Chapter 12, verse 7. Uh, then take some of the blood of the lamb and spread the, the blood of the lamb on the top and the sides of the doorposts of your house. Does that make sense? So, You find a lamb without spot or blemish. 
you kill the lamb at just the right time, and then you spread the blood on the door frames, the doorposts of your house. And if you follow God's instructions, if you believe what Moses is telling you by faith, at midnight you live. And if you don't follow Moses' instructions, what's going to happen at midnight? It's going to be bad. Uh, There will be destruction. God's messenger is going to come and it's going to be death to all of those without the blood of the lamb on the door frames of their home. This is huge. Taking notes? This would be a good time to do it, okay? Right now, this is the key point. Passover is where God reveals that this has been his plan for mankind to be saved from eternal life. All along, way back when Moses was leading his people out of slavery in Egypt, it required the blood of a spotless lamb over the doorposts of their house to live. Give me your eyes. Today, that's still the requirement. In order to be spared from eternal death, we must apply the blood of a sinless lamb, and that would be who? Jesus Christ, to the doorposts of our lives. And that is God's plan today. And that was God's plan back in Exodus chapter 12. It's always been God's plan. And you just need to know, this was His plan then, and now He's pointing. 1,500 years later, track with me. Okay, so you, you have Moses take the blood of the Lamb, put it on the door frames of your houses. 1,500 years later, the Lamb of God, the sinless Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, allowed His body to be nailed to a Roman cross. And do you see that? That lamb was pointing to the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. And he would shed his blood, and now that offer is available to all of us by faith. Jesus, I believe what you did on the cross was for me. And I receive what you did. Your shed blood is what I needed to take care of my sin problem, which leads to eternal death. I'm just telling you, this plan was in place way back there, 1,500 years earlier, and it's Jesus on the cross. So the Israelites, who believed by faith and put the blood on the door frames, they lived. And people today, who by faith believe that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God and have believed that what He did on the cross takes care of our sin problem, we get to live too. Eternal life. So I need to ask you a question. Have you applied the blood of the Lamb to your life? (laughs) Have you taken the blood of the Lamb, what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross? And that's a gruesome-looking Jesus, but that's what He did for you, and that's what He did for me. Have you believed by faith that He did that for you? Grandma can't do that for you. Your wife, your husband, they can't do it for you. Your children, you can't do it for your kids or your grandkids. 
You need to personally believe by faith, Jesus, what you did there on the cross was for me, and Jesus, I believe and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. That's God's plan. It always has been God's plan to redeem his people, to redeem men so we can have a relationship with holy, righteous God. It requires the shed blood of a sinless lamb, and that's what Jesus has done for us. Here's here's what you need to understand. First step for freedom, apply the shed blood of Jesus Christ to your life. But the truth is, some of us here, we've done that. We've taken that first step, right? And I've believed and I've received and and I've invited Jesus to be my king. And and I believe that what you did on the cross was for me. But some of you here today, you still got a Pharaoh in your life. And he's still haunting you, don't you? Some of us here today, you you got an old sinful habit and it's got you by the throat and it's had you by the throat, and even though you got the shed blood of Jesus Christ on your life, that that old habit is is just choking you. You know what I'm talking about. Some of you have a pharaoh in the form of a toxic relationship. You got a friendship, you got a relationship with someone, and you know you got no business having relationship with it. And, and if that relationship continues, it very well may poison you. Yeah, I got the shed blood applied, but that relationship is just poisoning your life. Some of you, you're, you're here today, and you got a hurt from your past that just constantly torments you. Somebody harmed you in the past, and unless you learn to forgive with the help of the shed blood... That past hurt just steals your joy. (laughs) There's no joy. I am a joyless Christian. Some of us here today, we got a pharaoh called fear. Living in fearful days, we're living in days filled with anxiety, and you're looking around, and you're scared to death, and that pharaoh is just destroying any peace in your life. I'm just telling you, there's lots of pharaohs with lots of different names here today. Here's what you need to understand. All of the most powerful gods and magicians of Egypt, they came up against Jehovah God. What happened? (laughs) Got smashed. The I Am was the ruler and led his people out of bondage. Can I just ask you a question? Okay, I think you know the answer. If you're a follower of Jesus today, where does the Creator, the great I Am, live today, New Testament church? Where does He live today? Oh, oh yeah. So which, which means, track with me now, so you got this Pharaoh, and he's been enslaving you and treating you awful, but you have the great I Am right here. You need to know that the Lord, He knows what's going on in your life right now. You know that? He knows and He cares. And He's willing to take even that that Pharaoh in your life and use it for good in your life. Do you believe that? Whatever's going on, whatever, whatever the ugliness, the enslavement, 
the pain is, he says, I want to take that and use it for good. But I'm just saying, before he can do that, you have to finally say, um, Lord, you're, you're here. Got all the power. You created the universe. You, you empowered Jesus to arise from the dead. Would you take charge here? I want to align my life with your plan, with your purpose for me. Willing to do that today? And that's the step a lot of us stumble on, isn't it? Um, you mean it's whatever, whatever you want, Lord? I, I'm willing to get my life in line with... Yeah, whatever you say, count me in. I surrender all. I, I'm just telling you, the problems, the pharaohs we got in our life... It's not because of a lack of power on Jesus' part. You understand? It's, it's believing and receiving, getting the blood on the door frames of our lives, and now realizing, Lord, that power can still bring victory, whatever you're facing. Do you believe that? Bow your heads. Shut your eyes. And I don't know... Uh, specifically what's going on in your life, but uh, I suspect that some of you have some pretty fierce pharaohs enslaving, treating you like dirt, sinful habit that has you by the throat, toxic relationship that's poisoning your life, hurt from the past that torments you, makes you angry and bitter. Maybe it's just this new world we live in fills you with fear and anxiety, steals your joy. Key first, first step, have you applied the shed blood of Jesus to the doorpost of your life by faith? Jesus, I believe... You took my place on the cross. Jesus, I believe you shed your blood so that I can have relationship with you. And I receive your gift of what you accomplished on the cross for me. It's first. Until you take that first step of believing and receiving by faith, there's no power. Jesus doesn't take up residence until you invite him in. Second, do you believe that Jesus knows what's going on in your life? Do you believe that he, he's with you? He's residing right inside of you. What's going on has not caught him by surprise. He's king of the universe. And he's ready to take the trouble, the pharaoh ugliness and bring you out and turn it for good. Final, final question. Are you ready to surrender fully to him? Whatever it takes, Jesus. Whatever, I'm all in. I'm ready to do whatever it takes to get my life fully in line with you and your word. I surrender all. Tired of this enslaved Pharaoh living. I want the freedom that you offer. Somebody lift up your hand and say, Jesus, see, see my hand. Yeah. It's time for freedom. I want to 
I want to walk free in the promised land. Anyone else? Lord, thank you for being all-knowing and all-powerful. Thank you for your eternal plan that involved a lamb without spot or blemish. Thank you for Jesus meeting all of those requirements. Lord, I pray that uh, everyone here will believe and receive by faith. Pray that if there's anyone who hasn't yet done that, would you draw them to yourself? Open their hearts, open their minds. Lord, I pray for those who are ready to do whatever it takes to get victory, to be walking free in the promised land. Lord, I pray that you'd give them the courage to do whatever it takes to kill those pharaohs. We're blessed to be your children. We're blessed to know a king like your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray.